Being disabled or having a chronic illness can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. With me in the passenger seat and managing the radio for this road trip is Meg O'Connell. The fact that Meg is an internationally recognized disability employment and inclusion expert with over 25 years of experience in human capital management, talent acquisition, performance management, disability inclusion, employee engagement, marketing, and customer service, or that she and her team have worked with some of the most world's most recognized brands and provide strategic program design development and implementation of disability employment and inclusion programs for global 500 companies, U.S. federal contractors, colleges and universities, nonprofits, and foundations makes her an interesting guest. But for me, I was drawn <laughs> to Meg uh, being on the show after reading a tagline that's used for her, her company, Global Disability Inclusion, of which she is the CEO and founder. And it reads, inclusion means everyone. Stop talking, start doing. That was it for me, and I wanted to get on the horn to Megan. Now we have her. Hi, Meg. Hey, Scott. How are you? Good to be here. Yeah. Hey, I'm doing fine, and I'm looking forward to digging into some stuff with you because uh, what I'm trying to do with this show is to disrupt things a little bit and to let people know about uh, dis the disabled community and stir things up with how the disabled community can move forward. And it's people like you that I think are a disruptor or at least a supporter for the disabled community. So I want to open by applauding you in a recent post that you pointed out that seven countries have issued travel advisory regarding mass shootings and the lack of common sense laws in the USA. Now, this is not a political show, but we do support common sense. So I just wanted to make that point because I have a platform to be able to, to do something like that. So right. thank you very much because it needs to be said more. I, common sense folks come on let's get into it so it's so true it's so true and i was shocked to see that especially after the recent mass shootings in texas at the mall and that you know countries are now saying it's tourism in america is not safe because right. There's no telling what may happen because there are not common sense gun laws. You know, when it comes down um, to money, that's what turns things. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I know we're going to talk about some of the other things, um, you know, related to money and disability and uh, all of that. But we we really need to get to a place that um, the almighty dollar does not drive every decision that we make. And yep. unfortunately, we're not there there as a country and to have, you know, the Texas, not only the Texas governor, but other people say, oh, it's not a gun issue. It's a mental health issue. Like that's not their responsibility or they mm -hmm. don't have a role to play in that. Um, especially in Texas's example, they are the worst state in the country for mental health resources and supports. So Wow. Let's get to it, Governor. Get busy. You got yeah, a lot really. of work to do. I'd <laughs> if say. it's not a gun issue, start addressing the mental health issues. Let's do it. So speaking about mental health, I've got 
taken from one of your recent posts on LinkedIn. It says, our privacy and mental health apps is being sold for profit along with questions we text and information about health conditions. You're referring to an article which Politico put out that's right. discovered that they describe as the creepy side of online therapy apps. Many use AI to respond to people reaching out. So this means that a, a person's most difficult times, AI re is responding, not a real person. And and I also, that you, you mentioned in there, it appears that the industry-wide issue on online therapy platforms does not have to comply with HIPAA regulations. That is scary as hell. It's mind-boggling. It, it, th this is one of those articles that really got me to the core, um, especially with all of the focus that we've had over the last several years on mental health. And yeah. as with everything on the internet, there's good and there's bad, right? And we saw such a marked uh, surge in telehealth and mental health resources yep. during the pandemic because everybody was really struggling. This was something completely new for us. We were working from home. Children were home. We were confined to our spaces. Uh, people were really struggling with how to navigate that and how to make it work. And, you know, to find out places like BetterHelp and Crisis Text, um, Text Hotline, that's been around for 10 years, is selling our data, our email addresses, IP addresses, answers to health questions that you have uh, used on Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp um, for profit. The idea is, okay, now we know what this person is interest, interested wow. in, where they're at, how can we sell them more products and resources? And, you know, so these third parties now understand some of your most vulnerable issues or concerns in your life, and they're trying to profit off of it. And I find that completely unconscionable. You know, the article did talk about the lack of regulations and the fact that, you know, HIPAA does not apply to online, which is a huge miss. But where's the ethics of the people that are running these companies to say, this is an instance where people over profits matters and actually protecting people's privacy will make us more profitable because we will become the trusted leader in this space, not following the status quo of what's allowed, but doing what is actually better, better for the people we're serving, better for the country. Um, so it's a huge problem. And um, I think a lot of people have done that. Well, what can I do about it? Mm -hmm. Everything's tracked everywhere. My phone's tracking me. It's either I do this telehealth thing that may not be completely private or I'm at risk. My family's at risk of, you know, further mental health crisis. And um, I don't think it should be a trade-off. No, it shouldn't. It, it seems like AI now is the wild, wild west. Uh, just this morning, I, I took a little bit of time for myself. I like playing fantasy baseball, and I opened up one of my main sources for information in the morning, and here were dual ads, one on the right and one on the left, from Microsoft promoting AI. And yeah. I didn't want to dig into what more there is to it, but yeah, this thing is wide open. And it seems like th there are two things that are going to be uh, be able to stop it or, or change it. And I would think it would be 
politicians, but everybody's already talking about 2024 presidential election and who's doing what and pointing fingers at everybody. So that's not going to happen. Then it comes down to money. And that's what I think it's going to come down to because here, let's one of your other posts, you're right. I say it all the time. Disability inclusion is not just a diversity issue. It is big business. Are you tapping into the 13 trillion? That's with a T trillion dollar market. I, I would have supposed that that opens doors when you mention that to people about working with you. You know, it does, but not as many as you think. Oh, um, God. There's, I know, right? You yeah. think money's the big driver, so let's Come talk on. about the money. Um, but corporations are notoriously fearful of getting something wrong, and especially mm. in the disability space, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to have a misstep because that can be in their view, harder to come back from than not doing anything at all. If we dip our toe in this and we don't do it right, um, then there's going to be bigger backlash if we just don't do a lot or do some trainings or have some things like that. So that's the biggest struggle is getting over that because even though the dollar signs are really attractive, um, companies are really fearful of getting it wrong. And so that's where we try to help them along in their journey. And, you know, we tell companies all the time, hey, you can pilot a program for five years. If you call anything a pilot, it gives you room for error, for making mistakes. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, you probably pilot every project you've implemented in your company at some point or for some phase. So you could test things out and see what works and see what doesn't. It's no different than disability inclusion. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. It just, the older I get, the more I'm learning about, I guess I've always known that money drives the world, which is ridiculous, but it's people like you and your company. And I'm finding more that I have guests on the show that are trying to dig underneath the money and try to show again, we're going to use the, the term common sense as we did about guns. But I think the carrot that you're showing in front of these people is, $13 $13 trillion, folks. And I think it's 1.8 billion people worldwide have disabilities. Yeah, It's just not, yeah. it's still not being understood. It really isn't. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was uh, last month's blog post where we were talking about this in particular and used the example of the adaptive fashion industry, which mm-hmm. 10 years ago was virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got kind of your medical grade, you know, shirts that had, you know, the um, snaps on it or magnets, but it wouldn't be anything you would be caught dead in walking around outside. They were just yeah. not attractive, you know, yeah. but, you know, uh, Mindy Shire, who is the founder of Runway of Dreams, had a son with physical disabilities. I believe he also uses a wheelchair. And she was also a fashion designer. So she was going and buying, you know, polos and Ralph Lauren's and Tommy Hilfiger and, you know, and then changing the fasteners so he could, Mm -hmm. you know, go to the bathroom by himself at school, um, get himself dressed in the morning and look like every other kid and not look different. Um, And that really started, she started knocking on doors and started with Tommy Hilfiger. And now these massive brands are getting into it. She's just having her 10 year anniversary 
And it, the adaptable fashion industry is a $400 billion industry. Oh. So, we, you know, we say it all the time. If you're not sure how your company can get involved in this, talk to your people with disabilities. Whatever your products or services are, I guarantee you, your employees with disabilities see a gap that you're not filling. Yeah. And that could be your $400 billion industry you're not tapping into, just like the adaptive clothing industry. Oh, wow. There was a lady that uh, oh was on Shark Tank not all that long ago, and she was picked up uh, on Shark Tank. Somebody invested in her. I contacted her. Uh, well, I couldn't get to her, but somebody about her being on the show, but I guess I'm, I'm too small a fish or maybe she just doesn't do right. podcasts, but I was interested in having her on to talk about this. So maybe I'll reach out to the person you were just talking about. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I know Mindy, we do some work together, so I'm happy to make a connection. I'll bring that up to you. Cool. I would love that. I would really love that. All right. Oh. So let's talk about the Amplify survey and oh, it's my passion. Go my for passion it. Project. Go for it. Tell, tell us about it. And, and first of all, is that related to the Mercer survey that you guys are involved in? Yes. Okay. Yes. So right. I'll, I'll tell kind of the history of how we got there. So um, I have been partnering with Mercer for more than a decade at this point um, with a gentleman there, uh, Pete Rutigliano, um, who is, I refer to him as my data geek. Um, he has a daughter, uh, a stepdaughter with autism. Okay. Um, he knew about my work. We connected at, at a previous employer that I had, you know, probably 15 years ago at this point. And the company at the time wasn't looking at the disability data from our employee engagement surveys. I was the head of the disability employee resource group at this company. And so that data was important to me, even though we yeah. did capture it. But I was told, well, less than 1% of the population is, isn't even saying they have a disability, so it's not statistically significant. So I got together with Pete and we said, okay, well, we can look at this data. What other data does Mercer have? So we started tapping into their global database and year over year looking at what employee engagement looked like comparing people with disabilities and people without disabilities. And so in 2021, we published that 10-year study of what employees with disabilities, what their workplace experiences were like. And not in one single category, when you think about the various categories, leadership, opportunities for advancement, do I have the resources to do my job? What's the culture like? All of those categories, not a single one did employees with disabilities rate their experience better than non-disabled colleagues. And Pete, who's the statistician, he said, statistically, that's fascinating because you would think at least one category and not even one question was it rated better? So each category has five to eight questions in it. Um, so when we saw that, um, we began looking at what are companies really interested in? And we saw 90% of companies are looking at gender differences, 75 race and ethnicity, but only 4% of companies are looking at disability as a diversity segment. So that's problem number one, right? Mm -hmm. You've got the world's largest diversity segment getting the least amount of attention from corporations. So that led to the creation of Amplify, um, which we wanted to create um, 
and it's the first disability climate culture survey. And we're, we've just won our third award for the survey. We just made Fast Company's most innovative company uh, for 2023 list. Um, so cool. we're excited about that. But it asks questions about disability and disability in the workplace. So most engagement surveys don't ask disability related questions. So this asks things around accommodations, around self ID, around uh, do people with disabilities have the opportunity for advancement? Do they feel they can advance in the same way their non-disabled colleagues? But the beauty of the survey is that it also at um, ask questions of those without disabilities. So it's really a pulse survey. Okay. It's about 40 questions. The first 20 are the same, regardless of who you are. Then in the middle of the survey, we ask you, are you a person with a disability? And we give definitions of disability. And of course, all questions are optional, so no one's required to. Or are, if you say no, are you a colleague, coworker, parent of someone with a disability? And that's where the questions then become different. If you say yes, you continue to get disability-specific questions. If you say no, um, you get questions like, I see examples of my leadership talking about disability in the same way they do diversity. I see my colleagues with disabilities treated with dignity and respect. I see... Um, my colleagues with disabilities advancing at the same rate as other colleagues. Um, so you're getting at both the lived experience and the perception, that cultural aspect of what's happening within your organization. So we're getting some really interesting data. And um, my favorite part about it is it really sets the stage for a company to create their next two to five year strategy around disability inclusion. You find out is your accommodations process working? You find out, do you have cultural issues or you know you don't have an inclusive climate? This one company we just did the survey with, um, you know, has a global presence and they found out 30% of the people that took the survey have mental health issues. So wow. this was a huge call to action for them so they're looking at their employee assistance program. What do we need to be providing that's different? What kind of training do we need to do for managers? What resources do we need to have for employees um, to get the support that they need? Um, so it really gives actionable insights for companies to say, all right, there's always going to be low hanging fruit, right? There are going to mm -hmm. be things around, you know, um, accessibility, uh, benefits, things like that. Um, but then there are the, longer term cultural components that will take longer to five years uh, to change a culture or shift a mindset in leadership. Well, so I've been, we're really I, excited about, the, about <clears throat> the survey. The next run of the survey, if anybody wants to take it, is July 10th through the 28th. So during Disability Pride Month cool. and in the anniversary of the ADA. Okay, that's cool. <clears throat> I was going to say, and I've been touting two things. One is that I think that the disability community could, should uh, just take it the blueprint that LGBTQ plus folks did yep. and just follow that. And the other thing is that to me, I've been touting that I think the disability community has been too quiet, but I think now I'm changing my view, but it's only just a tap on the door. Um, yep. You know, when I, when I look at some of this and I'm learning it, I'm really getting into this, all of this stuff with uh, guests 
and with other people I talk to, um, I, I believe wholeheartedly that there's an opportunity to move forward as, as a group and come together. But then I just had Isaac Harvey on the show and he's an influencer over in Great Britain. And he said to me, no, it's not happening because they're split. What he's finding is there's a split. They're not freaking coming together. Just yeah. get over it, folks, and work on things together and stop tapping on the door. Let's go pound on the door and make yeah. some changes happen. But here we go with people's Absolutely. egos. Well, and I think the LGBTQ plus community does a really good job about yes. coming together, but they have their own fractions within their I'm groups. Sure. You know, this group has this issue, this group has that issue. And so it's very similar, but I do think they do a better job of collectively coming together than the disability community does. Yeah. Like you mentioned about the five-year window, you know, maybe something can happen. I'm learning. I, I think maybe that it's a tapping on the door. Maybe in five years, it'll be knocking on the door. But yeah. anyway, I want to shift gears. Hey, you recently okay. posted about attending your niece's high school graduation. Just yes. tell us. And, and there was something, they used the Jumbotron in this uh, facility. What was missing? Captions. It's, you know, the first thing that I noticed when I, when I walked in and um, I saw the jumbotron on either side and, um, there was a lack of caption. It's the, one of the most basic, yep. um, accessibility features that, that any organization should be providing. And it was shocking not to see it, especially when you think, you know, almost 15% of the population has some type of hearing loss and you have a venue with lots of grandparents and <laughs> other people aging into hearing loss, um, not to have it there. So um, there were, you know, some other inaccessibility, I'm like that family member that were like, oh, Meg's always got her eye on accessibility, right? <laughs> so I try to tone it yeah. down a little, but it was, it was disappointing to see, um, especially uh, it's such a great time to be educating our kids while they're yeah. in school about access and inclusion. And it would have been such a simple but powerful um, way to communicate the importance of accessibility. Yeah. I, I substitute teach. <clears throat> and since I've been doing this, someone pointed it out. It was a, a teacher's aid for a child that had a hearing impairment. And one day I was subbing, I think it was in a social studies class and they're playing a video, which commonly happens when I'm there. Yuck. Right. right. Um, <laughs> and there were no captions. And she asked, Hey, you know, are there captions in this video? And I had played it before like period one, and this is period two and there weren't any. So ever since then, if I'm expected to play video or some type, I look and see if we can get captions up because I do know there are a few kids that in the high schools where I mainly am, that they have a teacher's aide, a person that's signing for them. Yep. So that's helpful. But the kids need to be able to do things on their own and have some form of independence because it'll help their growth. And that's why they're supposed to be going to school, folks. Absolutely. Let's and just, just do think the simple about things. How many times do you have a movie on at home and you have the captions on? Maybe somebody has on. a heavy accent or yep. you know, the 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 sound isn't loud enough and you're not catching every word and how helpful it is. So um you know, it's just good common sense. You know, there were a couple of, uh, there was no signage about accessible entrances. 
and it was this massive 90 acre campus. You know, I, my 90 year old father was at this event, you know, um, and so it would have been helpful to Arthur, um, you know, he's still proud that he's able to walk around, right? Cool. And he's cool. not using a walker and he's still pretty fit. But walking a 98-acre campus is a lot for him. Uh -huh. So it would have been helpful to, you know, over their little golf carts or something to help people with, you know, mobility. Because it was, it was painful watching people try to navigate their walkers on stadium-style seating to get to, um, you know, the the appropriate place for them to sit so there was I, initially i had said there was not wheelchair accessible seating um but then someone informed me that yes there was but you couldn't see it there was no signage for it so exactly. if people needed it apparently you had to register for it in advance so if you got there and thought oh maybe i'd be better served there once you saw the, how the seating was mm -hmm you didn't really have the option to choose that then you were stuck with your walker going up the stadium steps. Wow. Yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about with the gun lot common sense. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. shift gears again. All right. Let's, let's, do let's get in this other lane. Uh, let's talk about global disability inclusion, GDI and yeah. I'll open the website and I pop that. I see it's clean. It's organized. It's simple to get around. Um, it looks cause I, I was doing some cruising around through your website. I, oh, I think it's, we just had yeah. a little, I wouldn't say a complete overhaul, but we just had a little refresh of the site earlier this year. So, um, you know, we like to, we like to keep it fresh and, and interesting, but easy to navigate. So, yeah, so we have our June 1st will be our 10 year anniversary. Oh, so we're cool. pretty excited about that. Um, and We've got a team of about 10 consultants that we work with regularly around the U.S. And then we're part of two global consultant networks um, that we reach out to when we have work outside of the U.S. Um, I can't be everywhere. So um, perfect example, we just recently had a project in the Philippines and it's that group that I reached out to say, hey, I need somebody on the ground in Manila. And, you know, I find people for projects um, outside of the U.S. for that. So we do a lot of um, assessments. We help companies because the majority of companies come to us saying, we know we need to do this, but we're not sure where to go. So we start mm -hmm. with that assessment of looking at policies, programs, procedures. How are you talking about people with disabilities? What are you doing currently? And then giving them um, our recommendation, our findings and our recommendations on how to move forward and where you should go next. Um, with that, we do strategic planning with companies and helping um, not only educate them, but understand where do you want to be in five years in this space? Who do you want to be in this space? And what's your vision? Um, and we have sessions to help them think about that because a lot of times they don't know. Um, and then, you know, we help with uh, developing their implementation plan. Uh, sometimes we are part of that. Um, for example, I'm in my third year working with Michael's, uh, the craft store. Um, we started with a, a strategic planning process. Uh, then we piloted in 25 stores and eight distribution centers. Last year, we expanded to 150 stores. This year, we're going to do 150 more until wow. we get to all 1,400 stores. Um, 
So it, it, it runs the gamut. And then, of course, the Amplify survey um, helps companies understand um, what your employees think. What's, what's the experience like being a person with a disability working at your company? And that drives a lot of change for organizations, too. And um, hearing directly from what is likely 15 to 20% of your employee population. Um, so it gives them a, a lot of power around that too. Yeah. So uh, on your homepage, you have an announcement that you were named one of the most innovative companies of 2023. Yep. Tell us about that. How'd you guys, what'd you do to get on that list? Well, um, it's, uh, the list is from Fast Company um, and um, it's an application process, just like most of those lists are. And, um, you know, lots of massive companies. AI was the big winner, right, um, oh, yeah. in, in this space. Um, so we applied, and because we are a small company, we applied in the small but mighty category. Um, and, you know, helping shift. I liked earlier when you're talking about your disruptor, we like to think of ourselves that way, too. Cool. And shifting the way... Uh, a community is being served mm -hmm. and companies are looking at employees with disabilities. And that's what we want for the innovation in our survey. Got a question for you. You got to that and you, obviously you're seeing success and growth and everything, but how is it that a bank teller that was learning sign language got to the point of running a company called Global Disability Inclusion? Huh? Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> that's pretty wild, lady. How did you do that? You know, it's it's one of those things. I'm I'm in my fifties, right? So I can look back now, and those parts that seemed random, you see them all connecting along the way uh -huh. um, of how you came into your journey. And um, I live in St. Augustine, Florida, and the state school for the deaf and blind is here. So um, when I was growing up, I spent my summers here and would see people signing and uh, deaf and blind people in the community. And then when I got older and out into the world saw, hey, not most communities are not like that. I'm not seeing people with disabilities. And of course, because I would see people signing at, you know, at church or, you know, in the community, I was fascinated by it. So I started taking sign language classes uh, when I lived in Richmond, Virginia, working for a bank. Um, and started having a following of deaf customers come to my teller window. And they were driving 20, 30 miles when there was a branch a half a mile from their home because there was someone that could talk to them. Okay. And, um, you know, that actually was my first entrepreneurial project because like every great 20 something, um, I did a research study about the disability community and, of course, um, the second largest population of people who are deaf and hard of hearing uh, was in the D.C. Richmond area, which was our footprint. So I was like, if we get X percent of this household population, it'll increase our revenues by Y. And um, I think we should start providing services to this community. And I sent that letter to the CEO and he said, uh, Richard Tillman, he's still around today. Wow. I haven't seen him in decades, but um, he called me up and said, I'd like 
you to come to my office and I'd like to learn more about this and this idea. And then he said, okay, let's move you to retail strategic marketing and see if we can make this happen. So, you know, we laugh about that, about, or, you know, people, oh, the, the millennials or the Gen Z's are doing this. Well, we were doing it too. Just nobody was talking about it. (laughs) But you, um, so from there, um, Booz Allen came knocking and said, hey, we want to do some disability inclusion work. Um, and I was there I was there for 10 years, um, worked in a couple of different teams, um, led the employee resource group. Um, and then from there, obviously, when, when you're a consultant at a big firm like that, you're not always focused on your passion work. You're doing mm-hmm. that crummy project with the IRS that like makes you want to, you know, peel paint off the walls more fun. Uh, so I really <laughs> wanted to, um, you know, get back into, into my passion. So I left and I worked for a nonprofit for a couple of years, actually helping them create their disability consulting practice and just had a lot of constraints in the nonprofit space that um, didn't match with my vision of where I thought we could go with this. So um, I left and 10 years ago started GDI. Um, And at the time, everyone was telling me, you're crazy to say you're global. Um, and I had done global work at Booz Allen, so it didn't really scare me. And yeah. I was like, but that's where we're going next. There you and now go. everyone's global, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so those naysay- early on naysayers are all now global too. So um, wow. yeah, we're, it just each step led to the next and, and that's where we are now. It's just so interesting. You know, I, when I went through and I've done research, I always do that on guests and I really do a lot of digging, but I find a lot of information. A person like you is heading up a company. What's on your website? And I'm, I'm right now, I am on the research page and there's a, it says featured report, the state of disability employee engagement. Go ahead. Talk about that, please. Yeah, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the intro of how we got to Amplify, um, mm-hmm. and that's that 10-year study that we did um, with Mercer. And, you know, we just have some hot new data um, that I just got on Friday, so cool. it's it's not ready to be published yet, but we're going to have, like, part two of the State of Disability Employee okay. Engagement um, coming out soon. But what we're seeing... Um, you know, the preliminary data is showing some dramatic decreases in differences. So, for instance, we had, um, I've got it in front of me, you know, we had things like, I am appropriately involved in decision making about my work. When we reported that in 2021, there was an 11 percentage point difference between employees with disabilities and employees without disabilities, meaning employees with disabilities were less satisfied. Okay. That gap has closed some, and it's now only a five percentage point difference. Very good. So, so we're seeing buckets of progress as more and more companies get involved in disability inclusion and start focusing on things like digital accessibility, the physical accessibility of their buildings, taking things like the Amplify survey so they know where their pain points are. Mm. There are companies, there are global companies still out there that do not have accommodation policies. So there are some basic misses that, that organizations still aren't addressing but as we see them address it, we're seeing some of these gaps closed. Now, it is important to say 
a five percentage point difference is still a call to action. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, it is. So it doesn't mean, you know, under 5%, you're doing okay. okay. But, um, you know, and then we had things that did not change at all. I feel my career goals can be met at my company. Um, in 2021, it was a seven percentage point difference and it remains unchanged. It's still a seven percent point difference. So, you know, I haven't gone through all of the data, but we have um, four or five key questions where the gap is closing that signifies uh, greater satisfaction with their workplace, a greater sense of participation and inclusion. Um, so it's nice to see because in that first 10 years of looking at data, and this last round is from uh, 2018 to 2022, that that gap is getting smaller in some areas. So it's definitely a positive sign. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet. Mm. There's still plenty to do. And um, there, there were not, there was not an answer where people with disabilities rated it higher, but we did have a few questions where the percentage point was exactly the same. So, mm. Again, slight improvements, so we're making progress. So to me, I'm using the same analogy I did earlier. I think the disability community is still just tapping on the door. It's got to yeah. be a harder knock. Yeah. Okay, let's go to your blog Absolutely. page. And on there, on the blog page, it has four myths employers have about people with disabilities. Now, I'll throw them to you. Just summarize them for me, okay? Yeah. What kind of jobs can people with disabilities do? Whoa, what a broad question. Yeah, this is the question that I will retire when people stop asking me this question. <laughs> Come on. Um, you know, this I I get it, I understand, um, but people have to stop with the assumptions and misconceptions yeah. that people with disabilities can't do every job. Just like anybody else, insert diversity group into that question and you'll realize how ridiculous that sounds, right? Yes. Not every person can do every job, but there are people with disabilities that can do whatever your job is. So the answer is people with disabilities, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're warehouse workers, they're waitresses, they're chefs, you know, whatever job you can think of, there's a person with a disability doing it. Wow. So don't limit in uh, thinking, oh, people with disabilities can only do janitorial work. Um, or can only work in cafeterias. Um, that's limited thinking. And decades ago, those were the only jobs people would hire individuals with disabilities for. So I think that's why that kind of set that mindset for people. Yeah. What kinds of jobs? Yeah. Just mind blowing. All right. Number two, we tried a disability hiring initiative before, but it didn't work out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So again, let's insert any other diversity. Let's just say women. We hired a woman before and it didn't work out. Would you quit hiring women? I mean, chances are you've had women that have been great and you've had women that have not been so great. So you don't stop uh, uh, initiative because it didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, the better questions to ask are things like, did you have the right partners? Were you working with the right organization for jobs? We've gone in and helped companies assess some of their partners and 
find they've been sending their, they're like, we haven't gotten a single candidate for, and they're sending managerial positions over to an organization that works with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And you're like, they do not have the population for the roles that you're talking about. So let's talk about, do you have the right partners? Do you have the right sourcing entities? Um, are you putting the right jobs out there for various groups that you're targeting? Wow. Well, those the first two questions seem pretty simple. These are doozies. These are okay. Why are we still asking these? And it's one, the first one is we don't have any employees with disabilities. Seriously. That comes up all the time. All the time. Like, why should we do that? Why do we have, we don't have employees with disabilities. Um, And this is just, I think, um, naive. The majority of disabilities are non-apparent. You know, I have epilepsy. You wouldn't know that by looking at me. Um, So I, I use myself as an example all the time, talking to employers of saying, you know, um, you let, you're hiring people with disabilities already. You just don't know it. They're not telling you about it. They're not telling you who they are and that they have MS or learning disabilities yeah. or whatever, pick a disability. The, the society still creates a crutch in that you're afraid to bring it up. I mean, yeah. I, if I actually were to have an interview, I'm interested in teaching still for crying out loud. Most of the people that I grew up with are have all retired. Hell with that. I still want to teach. I don't even get any uh, opportunities to interview. And I have a feeling it has something to do with the disability, even though they're crazy folks, because I can still teach. I don't, oh, well, I won't go there and toot my own horn. Last one here. This, this is really a doozy. Employees with disabilities will increase our healthcare costs. Yeah. This comes up all the time, especially when you're talking to HR and benefits people, you know, um, they're concerned a- about that. And, you know, the short answer is no, it doesn't. You know, healthcare costs are, are um, created for an organization based on, you know, you're going to have people that use it a lot mm-hmm. and you're going to have people that never use it. And so um, it also is an assumption that people with disabilities are going to go to the doctor more often than anybody else. So I'll use myself as an example. I go to my doctor annually, or if I have a cold or something else, I don't go to the doctor any more frequently because of my disability. So, but then you'll have people with disabilities that do need to go more often. Maybe it's a chronic health condition, um, you know, that they're trying to manage. So it's, it's a spectrum, just like every population. Yeah. So just again, Maybe I should term the, I should title this show Common Sense yeah. <laughs> with a few different exclamation marks. Okay. All right. So I have a question for you. Is yes. if I come to you, I have a company that's been accused of disability discrimination and I reach out to you to investigate the issue. What's your process? Summarize it for us. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, it happens, but it's not the bulk of our work. You know, okay. it seems to ebb and flow. I want to say, Last year, we had three or four instances where this came up, where um, there was a disability discrimination suit and the company needed to bring in a third party vendor to assess what was happening. Um, 
So um, when that's the, the case, uh, and it's the same, even if we're not doing a disability discrimination, it's the same process. Okay. Um, we meet with the teams, what's going on? Tell us what's happening. Um, what are the issues? Um, and then um, we want to know about the company's infrastructure. How are you supporting people with disabilities? So we look at um, what are your hiring practices? What are your onboarding practices? What does it look like when an employee needs an accommodation? What's that process look look like? How quickly can it happen? Um, what happens if a process is denied? And who's in charge of denying that process? So we look at all of those um, policies, programs, procedures, and, and, and determine where they are. Um, and then if it's a particular, sometimes there's a suit, oh, we're discriminating uh, against uh, employees who are blind. You know, what are the supports and resources they have for a particular population? And, and we'll assess that. And then, of course, provide recommendations on what, you know, if there are gaps uh, or opportunities, what they should be doing next, whether it's increasing digital footprint, whether it's um, increasing color contrast between the doorways and the walls, you know, things like that okay. that come up uh, so people can navigate um, more effectively around the campus. Um, so really, we, we assess where they are and then help them get to the next level of where they should be. Again, common sense. Common sense. So let's get and say the heck with common sense and do something a little different. The sound of the VW means that it's time to shift gears with the road trip roundup. Meg, you have five questions I have for you that relate to you and your experiences with road trips. Okay, here we go. All right. I just came off one. So. Oh, cool. Cool. When road tripping, do you tend to do fast foods or local diners? Ooh, it depends. It's mm -hmm. a mix of both, but okay. I prefer local diners. Um, it just depends on where we are. If you're, you know, I just went to Atlanta. So we were in South Georgia. We didn't have a lot of kind of right off the road diners. So we did some fast food, but I would prefer a local diner. Okay. All right. Well, in Georgia, you're going to be finding Chick-fil-A all over yeah. the place. <laughs> right. What's a dream car for a road trip? Now that could be something you grew up with that your parents had, uh, something you have now or something you would maybe rent to go on a road trip. Well, so I got to go to the VW bus. We had one oh, when I was a kid. No My shit. parents had one, the old, like where the ceiling would pop up yeah. and you put the cot in it and have the bed uh, up front and um, one over the front seat. And so, yeah, so we grew up road tripping in that when I was a kid. That's really wild. You're the first guest to bring that up. I can envision the whole thing. Wow. All right. Yeah, I hate we don't. I, I wish they had kept it. It would have been fun to still have. <laughs> oh, God, they're worth a ton now. Oh, wow, yeah. I watched some car shows where they uh, refurbish those and they sell them for a pretty penny. All right. They're nice. Last cassette or CD that played while you were on a road trip? Last cassette or CD? Golly, I, I, I think we, I, I don't think I had one recently. Last cassette or, okay, one that sticks out. This yeah. was early on and um, it, it was Kelly Clarkson, I have to say. Okay. I can remember doing a road trip by myself and playing it over and over and over again in my car. <laughs> there are those. There are yes. those. God. Don, I think I it had... must have been after a bad breakup or something. So oh, it was super oh, appropriate. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to steer away from that one. I go there. Coke or Pepsi? Yeah. 
I grew up in Atlanta. Not, it's Coke. Got to be Coke because that's that's their home base. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Now here's the one I always love, and you already maybe your mind's already going there. What's your favorite road trip memory? Oh gosh, my favorite road trip memory. We had a ton, so it's hard to narrow it down. Um, you know, just being in the the VW bus with yeah. my brothers and sisters and, you know, traveling from place to place and we had no idea and going to campgrounds and getting set up with the family and just cool. being in a new spot. Um, you know, so I don't think it's any particular place. It's more the journey. Yeah. You know, we're playing in the games or cards or the license plate game or, you know, all those things you did as a kid. Oh my God. License plate game. Oh, I haven't <laughs> thought about that for a long time. I haven't thought about that since my kids were really small and we were road tripping. Oh my gosh. My husband and I still do it. Really? Yeah. Oh, like wow. We got stuck on 75 for a couple hours. So we're like, all right, let's play the license plate game. You're <laughs> different things to do. Sometimes we got to go back to those simplistic times. The oldie but goodie. Well, we're wrapping it up, but I want you and I to stay on for a couple minutes, Meg. And uh, I will sign off by saying challenge to everybody and keep listening to Life's a Road Trip. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip, 